Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Uh, well, if you would, go ahead and grab a seat uh, and good morning. Man, we, uh, we live in a world that has full, it is full of fun and exciting things, right? And yet because of the overwhelming options in our midst, what happens is that we as a people, especially we as this kind of up and coming generation, we struggle to focus, right? You've been sitting in that classroom, you've sat through that lab, you've listened to that TA and you're like, I cannot focus on anything, right, other than breathing. Like, I just need to keep myself going through the midst of this. And the reality is, I mean, we struggle to focus on every level in every environment. We struggle to focus because we live in this world that is full of relationships and responsibilities and and distractions and diversions that are all competing at the same time for our attention and our affections. And yet in the midst of these overwhelming options, what's beautiful is that our God has given us the book of Philippians, And he's given us this word, he's given us this scripture, he's given us this letter that was written to a church thousands of years ago, and yet this letter holds true for us today, and it guides us today in our hearts and in our minds. What happens in the book of Philippians is God provides a focus for our faith. And it's a focus that many times can look a lot like this. Dinner with a great view. Not that ugly old lake. Right there. (laughs) Ain't she a beauty? Not that old jalopy. (laughs) There. Mmm, looks good. Not that swill. Right there. Too hot. Oh, not out here, it's only 83. Right there. Hey look, a beauty queen. Oh, not there. Right there. Yeah, baby. I know what I want for dessert. Oh, not that crap. Oh, yeah. Right there. (laughs) Yummy. Yummy. Man, there is something wonderful about keeping someone's attention in the midst of distraction, right? There's something wonderful about being seen. On some level, we all want to be seen even when there's other things to look at. In the crowded room, right, our eyes just met, right? We want that moment. In the crazy camp, we want to meet our best friend, right? We, we want to have those moments where we find that connection in the midst of other options, in the midst of other distractions, of all the Facebook posts out there, of all the thoughts and ideas that have been circulating. Ours gets shared. Right? We want that moment. We want everyone to know what we thought about Hugh Hefner dying. Like we want to make sure that everyone gets to see my thoughts of all the Instagram photos of every sunset and dog and pie. Like we want to make sure that ours gets the likes, right? Which is good because if it's like less than 50 in the first hour, like delete it, right? We get rid of that. We don't want that garbage clogging up our archives. We want to be seen on some level by some person, right? On some level, we all want to be seen because it's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to be seen, and yet it's just as terrible. It's just as crushing to be overlooked. And yet the reality is that we've all been overlooked, right? We've all been neglected. We've all been overlooked by parents or or friends or teachers or coaches or even pastors, right? We've been overlooked uh, and felt insignificant because other people have neglected us in favor of their own pursuit of maybe a grade or a job or a date or social standing. And suddenly we find ourselves belittled. We find ourselves just just feeling terrible 
because other people just pass us by. And so a lot of times we try to grab attention, right? We've all tried to just grab attention, to to seize it uh, by saying a thing or doing a thing or proving ourselves or maintaining an appearance or an image or an identity that we think other people will look at, that we think other people will see. And, And even though we've been there, even though we've been crushed by being overlooked, the reality is that we also perpetuate this problem by continuing to overlook, continuing to neglect other people based on their backgrounds or their beliefs or their behaviors, whether it's conscious or unconscious, we will still find ourselves in and of ourselves as we move through life. We will find ourselves neglecting other people because of how they look, because of what they think, or because of of how they act, how they live. But as believers, what should we do? Right, As, as followers of Jesus Christ, as sons and daughters of the Lord Most High, we have a new focus, Right? We have an incredible new ability. We have an incredible new perspective. We have an incredible new purpose to focus, first and foremost, on people. That's what we're going to see this morning, is that the first focus of our faith is other people, because the good news of Jesus Christ can change everyone. When Paul is starting off in the book of Philippians, he's, he's introducing himself. He's introducing the author. He says, this is from Paul. It's from Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. Paul is writing to this church in Philippi, this this bustling metropolis. This is a a big city with trade and different cultures mixing together. A lot of money, a lot of power is in Philippi and he planted a church there, right? That's what's so special about this letter is he's writing to people that he met, that he knew, that he walked alongside of. This is a church that he personally planted. That's why when he says, I'm thanking God every time I remember you, this isn't in that kind of like, oh, thoughts and prayers on Facebook kind of way. Like this is him actually saying, I remember you and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your hearts and your passions and your work and your support. In fact, as we keep reading, we would see that he says, I long to be with you. I long to be with you with, with the affections, with all the affections of Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, you know that the affection of Christ for the world that sent him out of heaven and onto earth to live and suffer and die? It says that affection that motivated him to live that perfect life that you could not live? and then die the death that you deserved. He says, that affection that that pushed him through that horrendous tragedy and yet then rose him from the grave, that that, that affection that brought him back into our midst three days later to tell us that we don't have to fear death, that we don't have to fear suffering, that, that we no longer have to be slaves to those things and that instead we can be children of God if we just call on his name, if we believe in who he is and what he's done. That affection that drove him through all of that, He says, that's the affection that I have for you. He says, that's the strength of my longing to be with you. That's the depth of my thankfulness for you. These are people that he lived with, that he worked with, that he struggled with. These are people who were his focus. So what's beautiful about the life of Paul, the the lives of Paul and the Philippians intersecting is that He got to see the gospel. He got to see that good news of Jesus Christ. He got to see it intersect their lives on every level. He saw the good news of Jesus Christ change everyone at every place. 
See, when we see this moment, this church planning effort, it's recorded for us in Acts 16. We see that at first, when, when Paul and Silas and Timothy, when they roll up into Philippi, they meet a woman named Lydia, who was a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. And she was a God-fearing woman, and she listened to us. And so the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. And after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, come, stay at my house. One of the first people that they meet, the first person we see recorded coming to faith in Jesus Christ in Philippi is this woman named Lydia. And she was wealthy, right? The fact that she is from Thyatira and yet has a home in Philippi, that is a big deal. She was likely of Eastern, Southeastern, Asian descent. And yet she was living in Philippi because she was a dealer in purple cloth. In other words, she was this kind of fashion icon. She was, she was making a lot of money. She had a lot of power. She was able to travel where she wanted to go. She was able to live where she wanted to live. She was able to kind of amass this wealth and this, this, this power for herself, this, this influence. And what she was doing with the kind of the freedom that came with that affluence was she was seeking after God. She was a God-fearing woman. This doesn't mean that she was a Christian or that even she was a Jew. This meant that she was essentially rejecting paganism. She was saying, I, I don't think that the, just sort of this Roman kind of general thought of the, oh, there's like a million gods and they all kind of do different things. And if your God's that God and your God's that God, like we're all good. Like she had rejected that. She says, no, there's, there's some ultimate truth to be found. Relativism doesn't hold up. And so she says, I'm going to seek after this knowledge. I'm, I'm struggling with this idea. And as she's seeking and as she's searching, what happens is that she's still missing this crucial piece of the gospel. She can't quite make sense of it. She can't quite make sense of the world. And the reality is that, man, a lot of us, we're there. Right? Maybe that's something that we still struggle with. Maybe it's something that we still really remember struggling with where, where we were seeking after just the truth. We were seeking after what's right in this world, what, what makes sense of the spiritual realm. And yet we were missing that one crucial piece. Do you get it figured out, B? <laughs> it's hard. We were finding ourselves in a world of touchscreens of just encountering a Game Boy. And we didn't know how to make it work. And without that one crucial piece, without that one little element, that, that truth that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live and die and rise again, that, God, that the God of the universe loves you and that he wants relationship with you. And yet it was, it was impeded, it was broken by sin, by our mistake. And yet he made a way for us to know him again. He made a way for us to have relationship with him again as we were always intended to have through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Suddenly, when that is presented to Lydia, it clicks. She gets it. So she comes to faith. She gets baptized. She, she brings her whole household. She says, man, you guys got to hear this thing. You know, I've been looking about this, and I've been discussing this, and I've been talking about this, and I've been thinking about this, and I found it. And so suddenly what we see at first, the first thing we see happen in the, in the city of Philippi when Paul is there, when he's bringing the gospels, we see the gospel engage this woman intellectually, right, rationally. And suddenly she comes to faith. I, I love, I have a, a friend of mine who, who said that one of his convincing things that brought him to faith, one of the things that, he, that really led him to see the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, was that he realized that nothing else really made sense. 
He said he was really striving after these different ideas and explanations for who we are, where we come from, why we're here. He was seeking out all the answers for this, and he just couldn't land at a point that was satisfactory until he found the gospel, until he found the truth of our scripture, that our world is broken, that we're not inherently good, we're not even inherently neutral, but that instead we're enemies of the Lord. And yet by grace, while we were still sinners, while we were still dead in those transgressions, God sent Jesus Christ to die for us. Suddenly that was something that resonated with him in his mind on an intellectual level. And he says this is just, he loves to say that it's the best explanation he's ever found for why we exist, for how we exist, for what's happened in our world. The gospel can move intellectually and rationally can engage our minds. That's why a lot of us, man, maybe we still resonate with that. That's why we, a lot of us, we love theology and study. We say, give me that homardiology and ecclesiology and eschatology and all the ologies and monopoly. Like, you, you just give it to me. You know, like, I want, I want all of it. And that's great, right? We need you. We need those people to have that passion, to have that stirring. On some level, we all need to know. We need to have a reason for our faith. That's what Peter writes to church. He says, you need to set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. He says, people are gonna be confused about what you believe, so you need to be able to explain it. You need to be able to give a reason. You need to know enough that you can talk rationally about why you believe what you believe. We have a very rational faith. It's not just something that we say, oh, I don't know, like I just kind of like threw a dart at a board of religions, I guess. Like that's not, that's not what we have. We have a gospel, we have a truth, we have a scripture that engages the mind, that moves intellectually, that's very rational. Peter says, lean into that. Take, take advantage of that. Be people who, who know what you believe and why you believe it. And when I look at the world, that's, that's just what makes sense. Be ready to talk about that. And if that's something that's kind of stirring up, you're like, man, that is something that I'm interested in. That's something that I would love to pursue. I would encourage you, if you haven't read it before, one of my favorite books in the entire world is a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's an old school. It's a classic. It's wonderful. And what happens is that Lewis, he, he writes about the reason for our faith. Another great book is The Reason for God by Keller. It's a little bit more uh, modern. It's also a lot thicker. That's why I started off recommending this one. And if you uh, want to read just kind of the richness of the rationality of our faith, this is a great place to start. To read these thoughts, to engage your mind, because that's what the gospel does, right? It encounters people on every level. Our gospel is rational. It can change everyone. Even if you're all about that mind, all about the thing, I mean, the gospel is for you. So you want to engage in this study. And you want to make sure you're not doing it in isolation. Lydia immediately brings it to her household, right? We need community. We say this week in, week out, but you need community. If you're going to be engaging in these thoughts, if you're going to be encountering the Lord on this intellectual level, you need people to talk with, to people to discuss with. That's why we always have opportunity for you to join community here at Grace. We have howdy cards that are maybe around the room, definitely at the back counter. We have leaders that are scattered around wearing shirts that mark them as such, and they would love to help you find community, find other people to engage with, to, to walk with, to talk with, to struggle with. As you study, as you find the reason for the faith that you hold or that you maybe want to hold.
We see the gospel move into Lydia's life in that way, but what's beautiful is then we see the gospel move in a completely different direction in another young woman's life. See, as they were going from place of prayer or to the place of prayer, a slave girl who had, who had met us, who had a spirit that enabled her to foretell the future by supernatural means. And so she brought her owners a great prophet by fortune telling. There was a demon-possessed girl that encountered Paul's crew. And she sees them, and what happens is that she actually begins to follow them. And so she followed behind Paul and us, and she kept crying aloud. She's kept, literally in the Greek, she's, she's screaming. She says, these men are servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued to do this for many days. But Paul became greatly annoyed, and he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at once. You know, God-approved annoyance. So there you go. It happens. God can use it. See, your roommate is good for something, right? Like, this is, this is good. Now, we don't know why. I was, as I was reading this, I was like, man, what? <laughs> like, I was looking up all these different commentators and all these different scholars that they were saying about this annoyance thing, and everyone just sort of like, I guess. Like, everyone just, when they see that Paul was motivated by this annoyance, they're like, I mean, I guess, like it's, it's still, it's strange. It's strange that's how the Lord moved. But hey, beautiful, that God allowed this, this kind of moment to build, build, build where she was yelling truth, right? But Paul probably didn't want to be associated with this girl who is otherwise known for these, like, these demon-inspired movements and foretellings. And so eventually he reaches this breaking point. And hopefully, you know, we know that we should, we can assume that it's still coming out of compassion, right? Because he's a very compassionate man. We see in a lot of his travels and a lot of his letters, I mean, he just opened up Philippians talking about this, this yearning, right? This great affection he has for these people, including this girl. And yet he reaches this point where he says, it's done. And he commands the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ to come out and it happens. And see, what's beautiful about this is that we see not the intellectual reason, not the rationality of our gospel, we see the power of it, right? We see the gospel move powerfully, not just intellectually, not just rationally. It moves with power because this girl, she's the absolute opposite of Lydia, right? She is poor where Lydia was wealthy. She is powerless where Lydia had influence. She is demon-possessed. She is absolutely not under her own control, right? She is completely under other people's control on every level. She doesn't own her life. She doesn't own her thoughts. She doesn't even own what she says. She's under the ownership of people and a demon. And yet the gospel hits her. And the power of it brings her out. It delivers her from bondage, which is incredible because, man, a lot of us still remember or maybe are still experiencing that feeling of powerlessness. They're okay, right? They're all right. <laughs> I made sure to let it go to the end so that it's okay. They're all right. You don't have to worry about them for the rest of the morning. There are times in life where we feel like we are absolutely powerless. 
There's times in life where we encounter a situation or a person or an issue or, or, or a moment where we just think, you know, I can't do anything in light of this. And we feel bound, right? We feel, we feel overcome. We feel like we need freedom, right? Because we find ourselves bound by this comparison that's just eating up our lives and our souls. We find ourselves bound by this shame that we fear. From this, this thing that happened, that this decision we made, this, this path that we walked, this thing that we said, this relationship we destroyed, right? There's this guilt that's weighing on us that feels like it's just crushing us. We feel like we have this fear, this anxiety about what's coming tomorrow or the next week, what's gonna happen when we have that conversation, what's gonna happen when we go back home, when we go to those people. We're fearful and we're afraid and we're feeling crushed and, and bound and weighed down by these issues, and we reach these points of thinking, there's nothing I can do to bring myself out. I'll tell you what's incredibly freeing to know. So that's true. That little slave girl in Philippi, there was nothing she had. There was nothing she could do. There was nothing she could say to bring herself out of that horrific situation. It wasn't the reality of her existence. And yet how beautiful is it? How powerful is it that the gospel comes in, the good news of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, the name of Jesus is spoken. She's free. She's freed. We have to remind ourselves that yeah, ultimately, we are still powerless in and of ourselves. And yet we have a God who's more powerful than anything we can imagine. We have a Savior who has freed us out of that bondage. We can stand here and we can sing that we're no longer slaves to fear because it's true. Because our scripture is promising to us that, look, we have been freed. We've been set free for freedom. Right? We've been set free not to continue to struggle, not to continue to feel weighed down. We've been set free not so that we continue to just kind of wrestle with these ideas and feel like, oh man, like I don't know like what I can do or where I'm headed or, or we're not supposed to still be bound by those chains of sin and shame and fear. Instead, we've been set free and so we can stand firm and we don't have to be subject to this yoke of slavery, this, this burden that the world puts on us that our own mistakes put on us, that other people's expectations put on us. We can be free from those things thanks to the good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks to the fact that our gospel is not only rational, it is powerful. And Jesus Christ says, if you trust in me, if you follow after me, he says, you're gonna suffer and there's gonna be enemies coming against you and you're still gonna be under attack. He says, but... You don't have to fear those things. You don't have to fear the things of this world because I've already overcome it. He says, I've gone through death and I've made it through, right? It didn't end it for me. It didn't end my story and it's the same for you. You're united with Christ, not only in his death to slavery and fear, but you're united with him in his resurrection, in the new life, in the new freedom that we have in Christ. Man, that is the truth. That is the power of our gospel. And that's something that I know, that even though some of us were like, man, I, I was there, some of us are going to say, I'm still there. I'm still there. 
And I would encourage you to talk with community about that. I would encourage you, if you're looking for something to read, I was on a book recommendation spree last night, and so I thought, man, maybe you should read this book from Giglio that came out this summer. Louis Giglio, a wonderful pastor out in Atlanta, the leader of the Passion Movement, Passion Conference, Passion City Church. He wrote this book, Goliath Must Fall, came out this summer. It's incredible, and I love it. And I'm walking through it right now with different individuals, different students. Because this is something that speaks to that fear and that shame, speaks to that guilt. It speaks to that bondage that we feel like we're still under, and yet it's not true. Jesus Christ has set us free for freedom. The victory has already been secured. The giant has already been slayed. So how do we walk in light of that victory? How do we live from God's acceptance? How do we live from God's victory instead of trying to find our own in this world? And check this book out. I love it. Rest assured that you've been set free because our gospel is powerful. And yet what's so incredible is that we see the gospel move in one more way in the city of Philippi, in establishing the church that Paul's writing to. We don't just see the rationality. We don't just see it moving on this intellectual level or in this powerful level. What we see is it moving in a way that brings compassion and grace in a place that was very harsh. Right? You see, Paul and his crew, they get in trouble for setting this slave girl free. Right? They, they get in trouble for that because she was bringing money in for owners. They're like, hey, you took away this kind of money-making opportunity. So they, they bring them before the council. Everyone's angry. Everyone's so upset, in fact. They're in so much trouble that just the crowd, just like random people standing around, were like, yeah, I'll beat that guy. And so they joined in the attack. And so the magistrates tore the clothes off Paul and Silas and they ordered them to be beaten with rods. And suddenly they find themselves, after being beaten, they were beaten severely. And after that, they were thrown into prison. And, the prison, and the, they, they commanded the jailer to guard them securely. And then receiving such, after receiving such orders, <coughs> he threw them in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. See, what's incredible about this is that not only are they in so much trouble that the crowd joins in and just starts, like, whooping up on them, but then the guy who's put in charge of, like, taking them and, and keeping them captive, he goes above and beyond the call of duty. They tell him, hey, keep, him, keep these guys secure. And yet what he does is he puts their feet in the stocks. In other words, he goes to this process. It's almost like a torturous device. It wasn't necessary. And yet he thought, no, I'll, I'll go and put in the extra, extra mile, you know, looking for a jailer of the month. Like that's what he's going for. <laughs> Says, I'm going to fasten your feet uncomfortably to this wooden block and so suddenly they find themselves just being tortured, literally tortured after being beaten. And, and what's incredible is that what we see is there's this jailer who, I mean, he's just doing his job, right? I mean, yeah, he's doing, he li maybe likes his job a little too much, but he's just doing his job. He's doing his job. He's clocking in, clocking out. And this is a guy who just wants to, you know, he doesn't care about the spiritual debates. He doesn't care about the spiritual displays. He, he's not like Lydia. He's not like this slave girl. I mean, he just wants to get in, get out, go home, watch the ags. You know, farmer's fight meant something very different uh, in the Colosseum. But he still loved <laughs> to watch it, probably. <laughs> and yet this dude, this blue-collar working Joe... About midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and they were singing hymns to God and the rest of the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly a great earthquake occurred so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors flew open. 
and the bonds of all the prisoners came loose. Suddenly, oh man, we see this physical display of the spiritual reality, the spiritual power of our gospel. And then when the jailer woke up, he saw that the doors of the prison were standing open. And so he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he'd been shamed, because he was about to be in huge trouble, because his bosses might actually even put him to death. And so he thought, I'm just going to get out ahead of it. And yet because he, because he assumed the prisoners had escaped. But then in that moment, Paul crawled out loudly. He says, do not harm yourself for we're all here. You see, suddenly this jailer, this blue-collar working guy, clock in, clock out, not expecting a lot from anyone, anywhere, right? He's got to kind of just pull himself up, do his job, get paid, middle class, essentially. And yet in his life, in this moment, what we see is the reality of the grace of our gospel played out as an example. Matt Chandler wrote a book on, the, on Philippians called To Live as Christ and to Die as Gain. It's, it's a beautiful book. And what he says is that in this moment, Paul is showing the jailer the, the reality of the grace, the, 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 the compassion of our gospel by example. After being tortured, the missionaries sing and pray. After becoming free from their bonds, even though the opportunity for escape and revenge is before them, the missionaries stay to share the gospel. When they have the chance to run away, they stay. Unexpected and unearned compassion. That's what hits this guy's life. And it will change you. That will change you. The jailer, he calls for lights. And he rushes in. He falls down trembling at the feet of Paul and Silas. And he brought them outside. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe in Jesus. And he says, done. Done. Why? Because he saw unexpected and unearned compassion displayed to him. I was meeting with a cadet earlier this week. Uh, and he was talking to a freshman fish, and he was talking about how, um, you know, there's just not a lot of grace in the core. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that played out. Uh, but there's not a lot of grace in the core. And yet I was trying to mine him for it. I was like, okay, well, just think, like, is there, like, any moment you've ever thought of, any moment you ever saw, where maybe you saw just a little, just a little bit of compassion, just a little bit of grace in the middle of the core? And he says, well... He says, you know what, actually, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to an upperclassman, and he gave me a Fruit Loop. <laughs> Not only the Fruit Loop, though, this is what's so beautiful. He said, he gave me the Fruit Loop, and he even gave me permission to eat it <laughs> on the quad. And I said, oh, Lord, be praised. That's amazing, right? <laughs> Sweet Elijah's come sweeping down. That's the moment. And I was, I was like, well, I don't understand. Like, what? Why? He's like, you're not allowed to like, eat these certain things, like all this kind of stuff. And yet, just in this moment, this upperclassman, he had this one, he had <laughs> Fruit Loop. And he handed it to me. And I like, I like hit it immediately. And he was like, you can eat it. And so I just, I just ate it. <laughs> so that other people wouldn't see it. I said, let your light shine, brother. Like, what are you talking about? I was like, man, was that just like the best Fruit Loop? He's like, that was the best Fruit Loop I've ever had. That was it. Man, there's something beautiful about unexpected and unearned compassion, and it will change your life. And that's what our gospel does. Our gospel engages people on a compassionate level. It's not just intellectual. It's not just powerful. Man, it's compassionate. It's beautiful. It's gracious. It's forgiving. It's this truth 
that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Even in the midst of our transgressions, even while we were still dead, God says, I love you. I'm going to move towards you. And I'll tell you, the weight of that is something that should sit on our hearts. The, the, the beauty of that is something that should move our feet, move our hands to action, move our mouths to speak. That there is a God and that he loves us. And he knows the mistakes you've made. He knows the brokenness that exists in your life. He knows, he knows that you're not going to earn his favor. He knows that you're not going to fix the relationship you have with him. He knows you're not going to even be able to fix the relationships you have with other people. And so he says, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I'm going to say to you. I'm going to tell you the truth, that Jesus Christ already died for that stuff, that Jesus Christ has already established the community that you need, that you are still, in a sense, powerless on your own, and yet you have a God who's behind you, who wants to lift you up, who wants to move you forward. That's the beauty of our gospel, is that it meets us where we are, but then it moves us to where we need to be. The good news of Jesus Christ can change everyone. It takes God's enemies, and it makes him his children. It takes strangers, and yet it makes us family. That's what the gospel does. That's what it did in Philippi. That's what it's doing in College Station. We see this, and it's incredible to know that our God is so loving, he's so gracious, that he knows what's tearing us up, and yet he looks past it. He says, Jesus Christ died for that, so when he looks at us, we are no longer sitting in the midst of the shame and in this guilt, instead we are covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If we've trusted in him, if we believe in him, if we call on his name, we're saved. We have relationship restored between ourselves and the creator of the universe. Man, not by works. We have no room to boast, but it's by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God. And if that's something that you're still wrestling with, that's something that I still wrestle with, to, to realize the reality that my God, he, he can't love me more than he already does. And he won't love me any less regardless of what I do. That is an incredible truth. That is an unbelievable, unconditional love that we just can't find in this world. We get close with maybe family, with maybe a spouse, but the reality is that we can't really find it in this world apart from a relationship with God, that unconditional love. And if that's something that you still struggle with, there's a book that Andy Stanley put out a few years ago that I love called The Grace of God. Self-explanatory. Another pastor out in Atlanta, leader of North Point Church, this is an incredible, just beautiful book that talks about the grace of God, what that means for our lives, how that plays out in our daily lives walks. And the gospel, it can change everyone. So who are we taking it to? Where are we going with this truth? Who are we talking to about this, this incredible revelation? You have classmates, you have lab partners, you have roommates, you have workmates, you have family members that need to hear this, that need to hear this truth, that God so loved them that he sent his son to die for them, that they might have relationship 
with God. Where are you going? Let's pray to God and ask him to guide our steps. Lord, we ask that you would give us a focus for people. Lord, we know that there are people, there are individuals that you've put in our lives who need to hear this truth. God, some of us maybe are still struggling to accept some of these things as true. God, we still struggle to see ourselves uh, as maybe forgiven. Maybe we still struggle to, find our, to see ourselves as freed. Lord, maybe we still struggle to, to see ourselves as people that, that you love, that, that you truly died for. Lord, we see ourselves as people that maybe are still struggling intellectually. Lord, I, wherever we are, God, I just pray that you would give us an assurance, a, a, a firm foundation to rest upon. Lord, rest, to rest in this knowledge of the truth that you love us, that you've died for us, that you're calling us to, to a life that's lived in light of that sacrifice. So if you would take a moment right now, and maybe, maybe you confess to the Lord, God, this is where I am. Lord, I'm still struggling to really see the gospel change my life in this area or that area. Maybe you confess that to the Lord at the at the start, at the, at the beginning. But then you, you say, God, I, I want you to move me forward though. Lord, I don't want you to just meet me where I am. Lord, I want you to move me to where I need to be. And so pray that the Lord would give you eyes to see who's in front of you to help you focus on those individuals, those people in your midst that need to hear the truth of the gospel. They need to see the truth of the gospel lived out in your own life. So just take this moment. Maybe you confess, but, but you definitely pray. You say, God, Give me a face. God, give me a name. Lord, let me focus on that person that I could pray for them or that I could walk in a, in a genuine relationship with them and Lord, that I'd have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel that's rational, that's powerful, that's compassionate. God, let me have an opportunity to share that with them. Take a moment, pray those things right now.